KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. What is the Mongolian death worm? Where does the Ninki Nanka live? And what about Orang Pendic? Hello there, and welcome to the 312th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So let us go right over to our guests. Well, we're very pleased to have with us this evening the renowned British adventurer, author, and cryptozoologist Richard Friedman. Freeman, I should say. I'm thinking of Stan Friedman, right? Wrong, wrong category. Yeah. Well known from television on both sides of the Atlantic, Richard is the zoological director of the Center for Fortean Zoology, or CFZ, and co-edits both the journal Animals and Men and several editions of the annual CFZ yearbook. He has written, co-written, or edited a number of books and has contributed widely to both Fortean and zoological magazines, as well as other newspapers and periodicals including the Fortean Times and Paranormal Magazine. Richard carried on studies in zoology at the University of Leeds, and he has lectured across the U.K. This is his first appearance on our show. And his website, uh, one of them anyway, is http www.fcz.org. I'm sorry, .org. .uk. Right. All right, Richard Freeman, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. So you've studied cryptozoology all over the world. I mean, everything from Orang Pendek to the Mongolian death worm. That is a pretty pretty good resume, in my opinion. And with that said, yeah. What's, yeah. The, what's the weirdest creature you've ever encountered? Sorry. Well, the weirdest thing I've ever wanted to look for, uh, if you listen to the stories about it, is the Mongolian death worm. Now, <clears throat> the stories, the nomads tell that, well, by the time they reach the West, it's a case of Chinese whispers, or rather Mongolian whispers. <laughs> By the time these stories of the death worm um, reach the West, they are uh, a creature worthy of doing battle with Doctor Who. They're, they're <laughs> supposed to be five feet long, blood red. They come out of, the, out of the sand. They can spit a corrosive yellow acid. They can generate blasts of electricity that can kill a full-grown camel or a human being. But when you actually go to the Gobi, and I travelled for a thousand miles through the Gobi Desert, and you actually talk to the nomads who've seen these things, it's a different animal altogether. The electricity, or throwing lightning as they call it, they say is completely folkloric. Uh, most people uh, are describing a creature rather looking rather like an animate salami, a scaly, red brown creature, usually around two feet long, but as thick as a human arm. Uh, that they've seen curled up in the desert. Some some people have seen it slithering in and out of holes. Some people have seen it grabbing mice and devouring them. But they're utterly terrified of it. They believe it's highly venomous and it can spit. And if you're if you're hit by the the, the venom, you'll turn green and die, according to their stories. And uh, one man who had seen it in his youth, his whole family moved all their livestock and their, their a girl, which is the, the circular tents they have, and move the whole lot out of the area because they were so frightened of the death worm. Wow. Is, is, is it possibly a, a snake of some kind? Well, it's some sort of reptile. It's certainly not a true annelid worm because it, it's rather too arid in Mongolia. 
for it. Mongolia is uh, the Gobi is a very strange desert. It's not like the Sahara. Some of it is sand, but a lot of it is rock. Some of it looks like the surface of Mars. Some of it looks like Mordor. Some of it looks like a huge mirror because everywhere is so shiny and flat. Um, you see all sorts of mirages there. Uh, it's a, 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 some of it looks like a gigantic tray of cat litter stretching off into infinity. So it's not an ideal place for a true worm. Um, it's some sort of reptile. I think it's either uh, an undiscovered species of sand boa or a species of worm lizard or amphisbaena. These are strange burrowing reptiles that are related to, work, to lizards and snakes but are in a little group of their own. I think the actual the, the, the poison, the spitting poison, is, is apocryphal. Similar stories are told about a species of sand boa in Somalia and the locals call it the apris, and they believe it's so deadly, you've only got to touch it. It doesn't even have to bite you, but if you touch it, you'll fall down dead, rather like the salamander and the basilisk in, in medieval Europe. But in reality, it's a harmless, it's a fairly harmless, small, constricting snake. And I think the same thing has happened with the death worm. These stories have attached itself to a rare, strange animal that is probably fairly innocuous. All right, so how many cryptids have you studied close up, and how many have you actually seen? I've never seen a cryptid. I've okay. seen um, I've seen the monster of uh, Martin Mir, which was a, a lake in Lancashire in England, which uh, I investigated back in 2002. Some animal was dragging fully grown swans in the water in this rather small lake. It turned out to be an eight foot long Wells catfish, but that doesn't really count. That's a, an exceptionally big fish rather than a true cryptid. An eight foot catfish, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I've. Uh, I've seen the tracks of cryptids, I've seen the tracks of the Orang Pendek, I've seen the tracks of the Yeti. I've heard the Orang Pendek calling. I've spoken to many, many people who've seen these things. I'm one of my best friends, um, Dave Archer, and our native guide, the late Sahar Dimas, both saw the Orang Pendek in 2009 from a distance of only 100 feet. So I've no doubt that these things exist. I think I got very close to, to seeing an Almasty in the Caucasus Mountains in Russia, but that's, uh, that's another story. Which is a, a, a Sasquatch-type creature, is that correct? Well, the Almasty is rather different from the classic Yeti and Sasquatch. It's, it's, it's shorter. It's around seven, seven and a half feet tall. Bigger than a <laughs> modern man. Yeah. It, it's more human-like. Uh, it seems to be a, a, an offshoot of Homo erectus, our own ancestor, but one that has uh, adapted for mountain survival, whereas the Yeti and probably the Sasquatch are some sort of large ape. By P. Lape. Well, with the Almasti, um, I was there in the Caucasus Mountains with Gregory Panchenko, who is a uh, Ukrainian biologist who's seen these things on about four different occasions. And we were staking out an old ab- abandoned farmhouse near the village of Nukrino. And a few years beforehand, there were some shepherds hanging around on the veranda of this old farmhouse. And one of these creatures, an Almasti, opened the door at the end of the veranda, walked along the veranda, and this thing was about seven feet tall, picked up one of the men, just moved him out of the way, carried <laughs> on the veranda, jumped off the end of the veranda and disappeared into the night. Or so as we go. Yeah, and we, we were all staking this place out, and it was about 2.30 in the morning, and we'd gone into one of the little rooms. That The building consisted of three rooms and an L-shaped veranda, which ran around the outside. And it was about 2.30 in the morning, we were going to warm ourselves around a little stove, and there was a big wooden door, big oak door, about seven feet tall, and it was open about four inches, and it was a very clear night, there was moonlight and starlight streaming through. And my friend Adam Davis and I were warming ourselves around the fire, our other colleague Dave Archer had fallen to sleep, 
and suddenly I heard a deep guttural vocalisation. Now, the nearest I can get to it is sort of a boom, 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 boom noise, but it was much more throaty and deep. I don't have the lungs or the throat to do it. And I turned to Adam and said, did you hear that? And he said, yeah. Then suddenly something moved along the veranda. Now, whatever it was, was on two legs. Whatever it was, was tall enough to block out the moonlight and the starlight up to a height of seven feet that passed by the door. And I said to Adam, there's something outside that's just gone past the door. We grabbed our digital cameras, ran out onto the veranda, and were just met by darkness and silence. Whatever it was, it disappeared into the night. And, you know, I can't say that that was an Almasty, but whatever it was, it was big, it was on two legs, and it wasn't a bear. Wow. So you, it sounds like you've done a, quite a lot of field work. So from, aside from footprints and eyewitness accounts... And the vocalizations yeah, you just described. Yeah, besides that, uh, what, what's the most compelling evidence you found? Uh, the most compelling evidence um, we've got to date are several times we've come across the hair of the Orang Pendek from Sumatra. Now, Orang Pendek means short man. When we think about mystery apes, we think of, of very tall things like the Yeti, the Yeren, the Yaoi, the Sasquatch. And some of them are quite small. The Orang Pendek is about four to five feet tall, but immensely strong and broad, and it walks erect like a man. And it's been reported from the Indonesian island of Sumatra. Now, I've tracked it on four different expeditions, and I've heard it crawling, I've seen its tracks. And uh, I, I used to be a zookeeper. I know what the tracks of all the known apes look like, and these ones are different. I've seen its handprints as well. And mm. we've got hair from this animal, and this hair has been analysed by a number of different laboratories. And uh, Lars Thomas uh, from Copenhagen University and his colleagues have come to the conclusion by looking at the scale arrangement of the hair that the animal is related to an orangutan but distinct from an orangutan. Now, the last lot we've got, the last lot of hair from the last expedition that we just last year, they're trying to get DNA out of it. And um, Professor Brian Sykes, the world's leading geneticist, is now working with us on this and he's trying to get DNA from these hairs. And so is Lars in Copenhagen and Dr. Todd Dissertel in New York. And once again, Lars is saying this hair is looking really strange. It's looking like some strange primate. That's as far as we've got so far. We're waiting on the DNA evidence. And DNA is quite hard to extract from hair and it can easily get corrupted. So it can take a long time. Yes. So we're all working with, with bated breath on this one. Yeah, it I looks like the Rampendek may be the third species of orangutan. There are two known species of orangutan. The Bornean, which is slightly more chunky, and the Sumatran, which lives in the north of Sumatra, whereas the Orangpendek lives in the west of Sumatra, which is more grey soil. And these speciated, these two creatures uh, uh, became distinct species well over 400,000 years ago on the um, Sundar landmass, which used to comprise of Java, Borneo, Sumatra, and the Malayan Peninsula. And because of the changing water levels, these all became islands, but the orangutans had already speciated by that time, and the larger Borneans were in Borneo, the more grey-cell Sumatrans were in the north of Sumatra. I think there was a third undiscovered type, the orangpendek, which walks erect and lives on the forest floor, and that's what this animal, I believe, is, and I, I write about it in my new book, Orangpendek, Sumatra's Forgotten Ape. Oh, very good. Yeah, I want to hear about your books a little bit later. Interestingly, yeah, we're coming up on a break now, but interestingly, uh, my older son, who is sort of stays in the background with, with our work, has been and I go out and 
do these things. Uh, he was uh, very good friends with, with a young lady in uh, Singapore whose, uh, I guess it was her father or her uncle, lived on the island I guess you visited and was aware of the Orang Pendic. So in a way, it's kind of a personal connection, I suppose, mm-hmm. in some strange way. In any case, uh, we are uh, going to take a break now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal on uh, with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, and our fascinating guest, Richard Freeman. We'll be right back to continue our discussion about cryptozoology and all the interesting creatures associated with it. Stay with us. So what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time, empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, The Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational, and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. As long as he feels like he's in control If he want to stay, he stays If he want to go, he goes He doesn't care how he gets there As long as he gets somewhere he knows Oh no, and na 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 See her, heavy makeup and cut t-shirt Every girl out wants to be her but they look the same already, why are just Reading the magazine secrets, forgetting the topical regrets If she comes home all alone, the night's a bust, it's a must Swivel and her hips and the look she gives, it's all a trust If only in the morning she knew where she lived Cause if she wants to rock, she rocks If she wants to roll, she rolls she can roll with the bunch as long as she feels like she's in control. If she wanna stay, she stays. If she wanna go, she goes. She doesn't care how she gets there as long as she gets somewhere she knows. Oh no, na 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 na
And in a wink, they're on the brink, drink to drink, and at the bar, we cast the blow, shot to shot, it's getting hot, advance the plot to see how far it's gonna go, all the fence, so get the friends and grab a gap, another chance, cheap romance. Doesn't count till the room is spinning Nothing to lose They both are winning And they fall in love As they fall in bed They sing If they want to rock They rock If they want to roll They roll They can roll with the punch As long as they feel like They're in control If they want to stay They stay If they want to go They go They don't care how they get there As long as they get somewhere they know Oh no Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky Back to Behind the Paranormal With Paul and Ben Eno Call now 248-545-SOL New SkyRadio.com a fascinating conversation with our guest, Richard Freeman, the uh, well-known British adventurer, cryptozoologist, and author. And, uh, Richard, uh, let's go a little bit deeper now into the subject. We've described a few cryptids you've run into, or have seen evidence of at least. And many Aboriginal peoples feel that cryptids are shapeshifters or move between any number of worlds. I've heard that from some Native Americans. Uh, all things considered, where do these things come from, in your opinion, and where do they go, or are they just really hard to find? I think the vast majority of what we're talking about here are flesh and blood animals that are just very elusive. Um, for instance, the Tasmanian wolf or thylacine, the dog-like flesh-eating marsupial of sure. Tasmania, Australia, and New Guinea. Officially, it's been declared extinct, but it's been seen by a, a park ranger and a zoologist. Uh, a computer program predicted where it should be, being seen if it's still, if it was still uh, alive, and it, it matched up something like ninety eight percent with where the reports were coming from. Uh, so many people have seen this animal; it's almost certainly still around, not just in Tasmania but also in mainland Australia and New Guinea. And what's happened with this is it's it's uh, selective breeding because people trapped, snared, shot the less careful animals, the more timid animals, they were the ones that survived to breed. So this uh, elusiveness has been bred into them. That's why they're hard to find. They're out there, but they're just hard to find. Uh And we've got this false notion that the world has been mapped and explored, and it's not. There are great sections of Australia, South America, Africa, Asia that Nobody ever goes to. Even native people hardly ever go there. When I was in Mongolia, you could travel for the best part of a week and not see not only a, not another living human being, but not a sign of another living human being. Mm. Wow. Well, I've heard speculation also, again, mostly from native sources, that some cryptids, notably Sasquatch here in North America and their kin around the world, are extremely intelligent, even benevolent. And have you seen any evidence of this or heard any similar reports? They're, they're certainly intelligent. I, I wouldn't call a wild animal benevolent or otherwise. That, that's a human notion. Um, they're, they're, they're great apes, most of them, or, or they are relatives of the ancestors of man. Okay. Well, that, when I say benevolent, I mean, they're, 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 they're I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Okay, well, we have our, our overseas delay here or something. Uh, well, anyway, when I say benevolent, I mean there have been reports that I've heard, you know, naturally not firsthand, that there have been uh, occasions where wounded people have been assisted, uh, much like the story of the elephant in in the I guess it was was one of the tsunamis in South Asia, supposedly picked up a man and, and, and ran. To the to high ground with him and therefore saving his life, whether he intended the elephant intended to do that, I don't know. It certainly saved the fellow's life when the uh, the tsunami hit. You know that, that sort of thing. And one hears well, stories. You do hear stories of of dolphins saving drowning people and so forth. So uh, it's it's not impossible. We know that the animals can help each other out occasionally, even different species of animal. Okay, occasionally been observed helping them other species of animal. So it's, it's not impossible. Have you ever known anyone to be harmed, there on the other hand, so to speak, by a Sasquatch or, or any other cryptid, and particularly a lake monster where people might be out in boats and sort of thing? Uh, with Sasquatch and Yeti, I've heard a number of stories and every single one I've tracked down turns out to be bunk. Hmm. Okay. All these stories about people uh, getting killed by Yeti and Sasquatch. Can you give um, some examples or one or two examples? Well, um, the wilderness hunter story of uh, the guy from the Bitterroot Mountains, uh, Theodore Roosevelt recorded it. Uh, he said that uh, this party, well, there were only two of them, these two trappers, their camp was haunted by some strange animal that moved on two legs. They just glimpsed it. One guy went out looking at the traps and the other guy was packing up in the, in the camp. When he got back, the other guy was dead with fang marks in his neck. Oh, and dear. he was broken. Now, we only have the old trapper's word for it. And this is like second-hand from Theodore Roosevelt. So even if there was any truth in it, what's to say that's a Sasquatch? It could have been a bear, it could have been a puma, it could mm-hmm. have been anything. That <clears throat> um, there's very very little to it. There are stories of the Almasti when it's provoked, having lashed out at people. There's one story I heard from Gregory Panchenko of a man who hit one of them in, in fear. It was looming up at his door because they approached the remote human habitation in search of food, and this thing was outside his door. He swung a punch at it, and it, it gave him an open-handed slap that knocked him 15 feet. Oh, that was dear. Another one, another farmer threw a stone at Almasty that was near a, um, a, a grain store, and the Almasty lifted up a rock and hurled it, narrowly missing the, the farmer, and the rock took two, two men to even lift it off the ground, and this animal had thrown it over the farmhouse at the, at the farmer. Uh, there's another story about one using a club to kill uh, a big guard dog and then make off with a Bulgarian cheese, although why the hell it wanted a Bulgarian cheese, because they taste like rubber. <laughs> I tried some when I was over there. But yeah. most of the stories where you hear one of one being aggressive, it's because they've been provoked. Gorillas are really laid-back animals. You have to provoke a gorilla before it goes for you, unlike the chimpanzee, which will tear you to shreds at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard many stories about... Uh... Oh, sorry. Sorry, lake, lake monsters and sea serpents, you do get these stories. There was a story... Uh, it's supposed to have happened in, I think it was 1961, off the coast of Pensacola in Florida, where f- uh, five boys on a raft were attacked by uh, this serpentine, dragon-like creature that came out of the water and dragged them under one by one, and only one guy, Edward Brian McCleary, escaped. Uh, someone's tried to, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Michael Newton's tried to look into this, and he can find no death records of any of these other 
supposed youth, so it could be that that's a twice-told tale. There's a uh, another a dragon-like creature that's supposed to lurk in Lake Wendell in Tibet, which is supposed to have attacked um, fishermen's rafts and knocked them over and devoured the fishermen, and it was supposed to have dragged away and eaten a yak belonging to a, a member of a local communist party. <laughs> uh, and this is at a high altitude lake, so it's not a crocodile. It's, it's a, it, witnesses describe it as being dragon-like, green, scaly, with a long neck and great jaws. I'd love to go over and take a look to see if there's any, any truth in this story. Mm-hmm. I've heard many stories myself of, um, I, I think it was around the Bermuda Triangle, there were these uh, guys going fishing, and then they, these tentacles came out of the water and just dragged them into, into the ocean. But they they escaped somehow. I don't remember how. But I'm like paraphrasing the story. But have you heard anything to that effect? Yes. Yeah. There there are, there are a couple of stories like that. One happened uh, off the coast of Newfoundland in the 1880s, when a giant squid uh, attacked a boat and almost pulled it under, and it only let go when the fisherman's son managed to hack off one of its tentacles. Uh, there was another case in World War Two when a uh, a boat was torpedoed in the um, South Seas. And there were not enough life rafts to go around, so the people were clinging onto the outside. And a, a giant squid dragged away uh, one man from there and came back and attacked another one. And he managed to uh, be pulled back by his friends, but he bore the scars all his life, which were later looked at by a zoologist, who said, well, these, are the, these look like they're the sucker marks of squid, but it's huge. My goodness. So, some giant squid do happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've heard about that in Newfoundland, uh, some of the... It's not that far from here as a crow flies. <laughs> no. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, go ahead. Well, have you have you actually communicated with a cryptid or spoken with someone who has communicated with a cryptid? Yeah, you see, that, that comes up because you notice the people banging wood together and supposedly that's how Sasquatch is. Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I have. I've heard the orang pendek calling. And its call is, it makes a number of vocalizations, but it seems to have this long distance communication, which sort of goes, like that, and you hear it echoing out across the jungle. And I've called back, and then it's called back again in the distance. Okay. What do you think it means by that? It's communication over a long distance, whether it is a male trying to attract females or whether it's a male staying, saying, stay out of my territory, I don't know. They're territorial. They're, they're solitary animals. They're not like um, chimps or gorillas, which go in big troops. They're more like orangutans. They're, they're solitary and come together only to mate. Oh, oh well, that, oh, that's very, very interesting. So we sometimes run into cases where multiple areas of the paranormal seem to interact. Have you ever seen any cases where cryptids are evident in areas where there are UFO sightings or maybe the occasional poltergeist or things like that? A la Mothman, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah well, well, Mothman, I wouldn't classify as a cryptid. Mothman is something altogether stranger. Okay. Uh, there's, there's, uh, have you ever heard of the British equivalent of the Mothman? He's called Owlman. And it's, uh, it's been... I don't know, I haven't. Yeah, well, there's a very good book by Jonathan Downs called The Owlman and Others, which you can get. And it's the only book written specifically on the Owlman. Uh, it's been seen since... Oh, The Owlman, yes, of, of in Owl Cornwall, yes. The Owlman of Morning. I'm sorry, Sun. yes, yeah. I have, I've heard of that. Very similar sort of thing to Mothman. And the, where that is seen, is stones throw from there, you get Morgar, the sea serpent, you get sightings of big cats. And this, they, they call them flaps, unfortunately, in phenomena, in a wave, it's called a flap. 
right. one of these, you, you, there were poltergeist outbreaks, there were swarms of animals, people were seeing strange lights in the sky. What the hell it all means is anybody's guess, but these things do seem to happen. Yeah, indeed. Huh. Well, uh, do you have anything else, Ben? Because I was really uh, captivated by something um, that uh, we talked about during the break. Okay. All right. Well, Richard, uh, we had discovered a sort of a, a mutual um, experience, I suppose, in a way, in Devon. Uh, and yours is much more recent than mine. In, in, the, uh, in 1989, I was there for some time to... Oh, one, okay. Uh, to uh, investigate the, the so-called Beast of Exmoor, the Black Beast of Exmoor, and it was quite a fascinating experience. And uh, we are coming down to a break, so I'll have to wait until we come back to to continue that. But you also have investigated that, and I thought comparing notes would be very interesting for the listeners. Anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. We'll be right back with our guest Richard Freeman and cryptozoology as our subject, and stay with us. Take CBS Radio The Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and sky news. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And indeed we are back with our distinguished guest, Richard Freeman, author, adventurer, cryptozoologist. And uh, I wanted to get into something that we have both done and to perhaps compare a few notes, although I'm sure I have never gone into this, this subject with the depth that Richard has naturally. But uh, in uh, the late 80s, 1989 specifically, I was in England in the spring to research the Beast of Exmoor, which was a large puma or cougar-like cat that had been appearing in Devon and eating lots of sheep uh, without the authorization of the farmers and creating all sorts of problems. Uh, I 
did I didn't see the actual creature, but I was I was met at Heathrow by a couple of old farmers, and I was the biggest thing that had happened to them since World War One, and we had a great time. We took they took me to the pubs, but there also had been a sheep kill the previous night. We went out with some police officers over the the, the, the moors, which are very mysterious and naturally the stuff of Sherlock Holmes stories, things of this kind, and uh, it was just a fascinating experience. I saw very large footprints. Uh, was not winter, so the I, you know the, the footprints will change depending on as as I'm sure uh, that Richard will, will will verify will change with the freezing and all those sort of things, and the size may appear much greater than than they uh, really are. But it was an interesting experience. I did hear uh, the sounds of what, what sounded to me as as I'd heard of the American Southwest large cats, this sort of thing. Now, my particular theory on this, and you, you can tell us your own experience uh, certainly too, Richard. But my, my particular opinion was that. I could just picture some old colonel from the Raj coming back from India with a Black Panther or two, Parliament passing the Animals Act in 1976 that said you couldn't have any more strange beasts in your house, letting the things go, and then perhaps interbreeding with the local lynxes or something like that, resulting in this rather odd uh, creature known as the Beast of Exmoor, which you yourself have have seen. So please take it from there. What, what What was your experience there in Devon? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it was uh, spring uh, last year, and I was travelling by coach from Exeter up to Bristol to visit a friend. And on the outskirts of Exeter, which is a large town in South Devon, just as as we're, we're getting out into the countryside, I, I looked up for my book uh, over a field in broad daylight, bold as brass, about five hundred feet away. There was a puma. Standing. Really. Stock still. There's no doubt what it was. It had a great long tail, rounded head, pricked ears. It wasn't a domestic cat. It was far too large. It wasn't a fox. It certainly wasn't a dog. It was a big cat, and it was a, a fairly dark phased puma. I and see. I'm ninety-nine point nine percent sure that that's what it was. And it was standing in a field by a tree. So I had a good frame of reference to the size. It was about the size of an Alsatian dog, but with a much longer tail. What and luck! So it's yeah. That was amazing. And I, had, I only had it in view for about eight seconds, but I knew mm-hmm. what it was. Well, nevertheless, but our mutual friend uh, Nigel Brierley uh, from from Devon was was a fellow I was always in touch with there, and he had seen it on a number of occasions. Was occasions that was attempting to to trap it, and I remember that uh, one of the. Um, uh, another farmer in the town of Molland in North Devon, whom I interviewed, was saying that he had seen two at the same time. And many of the farmers described to me that they were pot-bellied. Not the farmers themselves, but these these big cats. Uh, and it was generally acknowledged that there was more than one. Uh, so, uh, what uh, have you since learned anything about these? Any more about these? I know the Royal Marines had had exercises in that area, in, I believe it was about 1985, and they actually... Uh, saw through their night vision cameras these things on the prowl, but they could never get a clean shot. Uh, can you add to that? What uh, what's happened since, or or what? Well, but they're they're still here. We we see kills. I've had some kills that look to me like they've been made by big cats rather than dogs. You get more and more reports every year. There's obviously a population, and they're throughout the country now. Oh well, I would say I would think so. People, when I was there, were were reporting that they were that one or two of them had brought down moor ponies. There were wild ponies on the moors there in, in uh, Exmoor and Dartmoor, and they they had been very concerned about uh, their children. 
naturally, who were of course a lot smaller than ponies, and it just um, people were the, the multiplication of the species seemed to be occurring, and people were were greatly concerned about it as a public yeah, safety matter. Yeah, that was one question I had. Like, what what's the dent in the local wildlife with these uh, big cats around? Very little, because they're not always taking big things. Um, they can subsist quite happily on rabbits, of which there are millions and millions and millions. Right. Also, there are plenty of deer. Now, in Britain, once upon a time, we used to have brown bears, wolves, lynx, wolverine, and they've all been hunted into extinction hundreds of years ago. Yeah. There was a meat in, in the British ecosystem for a large predator. And they have to call deer now because there are too many of them. So in a way, these things are doing a good job. Hmm. Oh, well, that's good. Well, I remember in, in my, my walks, and when I think of it now, walking through the, down these foggy lanes in the middle of nowhere all by myself, <laughs> I think of it now. Uh, but I did find a number of, of kills, uh, a number of sheep, as you know. Uh, they're, they're no, there's nothing but sheep all over Devon. At least they used to be, and they would occasionally die of natural causes, and they would fall over where they were, the weather or whatever, or old age or sickness. But many had been obviously killed by a predator, and the, the meat had kind of been. It was not in the way a dog would do it. A dog would generally, just, you know, chew the bones, things of this kind. But this meat had been obviously licked out from uh, amongst the bones, and it was uh, very clearly to me a cat kill of some kind. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I, I saw one like that a couple of years ago. The local farmer actually kept it for me to examine, and it almost looked like the skin has been peeled back on top of you would off a fish. Exactly. Like a gnarl, and the meat has all been. T- that's typical cat. Sure. Know. But as far as you know, no no humans have been injured so far by these these things. And as you say, there are reports of them all over Britain. Yeah, there have been a bit like a bit like the Bigfoot attacks. There have been reports, but they all turn out to be bunk by attention seekers. Yeah, I was going to ask you: had there been any uh, reliable reports of any sort of Bigfoot-like creature in the UK? Yes, I've investigated it. Okay, um, can you tell us about that? There's been a number of there's been a number of these reports. Now, on mainland Europe, we used to have legends of things called trolls, big hairy giants, mainly in Scandinavia. And it's likely that the troll is the same thing as the the Russian Almasty, because there have been reports of the Almasty uh, coming very close to the borders of Finland, and there have been reports of the Almasty in the Ukraine. So it's only a small push to get them into the wilder parts of Europe. And if you go back several hundred years when the, the forests were more dense, it's probable that these animals were coming over, and that's where the legend of the troll comes from. Uh, Lars Thomas, a friend of mine from Copenhagen, is researching the book on Scandinavian cryptids, and he was looking into the history of, of the trolls, and one of the Danish kings wrote that his favourite quarry when he hunted were trolls because they were so elusive and so dangerous when cornered. And his description of the troll sounds exactly like the description of the Almasty. Now, Britain is an island, though. It's not attached to the rest of Europe. It's, and, and the idea of there being an ape-like creature living in undiscovered in um, <clears throat> Britain is a completely different matter. I investigated a case, uh, it's one of many cases, uh, in a place called Bowen Lake up in the northeast of England, where a large, shambling, dark, nine-foot-tall figure had been seen around the woods in this country park, this lake. We're not talking about a great forest, we're talking about something like a couple of hundred acres. Obviously, it couldn't even hide one yeti-like animal, let alone many. Uh, or a population, and we're talking about somewhere about 30 miles from the, from Newcastle Town Centre. But lots of people said they saw this, this strange figure there, and we went up there. I was completely sceptical of the whole thing. My colleague, Jonathan Downs, actually saw it. 
But what he said he saw, because it wasn't so much an ape-like figure, it was almost two-dimensional. He said it was black, it seemed flat and two-dimensional, and moving very fast through the forest, running backward and forward, and only visible for a short time. Interesting. And his description was like, it's almost like someone had cut a, a man-shaped hole in reality. It was like a man-shaped hole, this two-dimensional thing. So whatever it was, it wasn't a flesh-and-blood animal, it was something much stranger. That's very interesting. Well, we were, we were always uh, chalking up many of the things we run into as a multiversal experiences, you know, yeah. holes in space-time, this sort of thing. And, uh, okay, we've got five minutes to the next break, so I guess we can get into this other other matter. We, we um, uh, in America now, we were in the United States at least, we have a, a, a new show called... Uh, Bigfoot hunters, and usually we we don't talk a lot about these shows on on uh, this show because we don't we either don't take them seriously or we don't want to offend anybody. Or, but we we do we really enjoy watching this 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 show, which has to do with a bunch of people, including a, a, a rather capable biologist, uh, going out and and uh, investigating various examples or, or reports of of Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever, including here in in Rhode Island where we live, they had a very interesting show about. Uh, our small state, and they expect they were like, oh, they have so much wildlife here. So many well, it's a bit, it's a bit, for the the state is well, it's more like a British county. I mean, the state's only forty eight miles long and thirty seven miles wide. Most Americans laugh at us, but it's um, it's it's very woodsy and quite rural, mo- much of it. And uh, the uh, the urban areas are concentrated around Narragansett Bay, and outside of that, quite a few, quite a bit of forest. So. They they described it as very squatchy in, in their terminology. Yes, that's, that's <coughs> but a I was going a new new word added to the language. But I was going to ask you, what is your opinion of the uh, the, the the popular hobbyist cryptozoologists who, who don't do what you do and and, and spend uh, tremendous amounts of time and, and, and effort and scientific applying uh, what what real scientific methods. Uh, to these things, I mean, it's an entertaining show, but they seem to go plowing into these wilderness areas with noisy helicopters, you know, shouting and this sort of thing. I mean, to me, the, the, even from any military standpoint, any investigatory or standpoint or police method, that would be silly to do. What say you about about this 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 sort of thing? This kind of investigation? I more or less agree. Uh, in the UK, we have this truly awful show. Um, it was truly, truly, truly awful show called Most Haunted. I don't know if you've ever seen it in the No, oh, I've heard of it. God. Yes, yes, yes. It, it's awful. And it's flicked it on North America as well. They just get a bunch... And it's, it keeps getting recommissioned and recommissioned again and again while serious investigators never get a look in. Now, they just seem to go to a place that's alleged to be haunted, switch the lights off, go around with night sights and scream a lot in the dark. <laughs> A bit yes. like a, 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 a bad version of the Blair Witch Project. Yes. And occasionally you'll get some medium professing to be possessed or channeling some spirit. Um, it looks to me, at any rate, that they're just acting very badly. Um, finding Bigfoot seems to be like the cryptozoological equivalent of this. They go out to somewhere, make a lot of noise, interview a few witnesses hear some bumps and bangs in the forest that may or may not be Bigfoot, probably not. And that's about the size of it. <coughs> and I really wish it would be taken more seriously. Um, I've been trying to break television for many years, and um, I've had very little luck so far. I've always wanted my own series where we go out and do things properly, 
we go to different parts of the world looking for different cryptids and we spend a decent amount of time and money doing it properly with camera traps and hides and spending a long time in the field looking for these things because it's the only way you're going to find them. And every time we get turned down, I mean, once we were turned down because uh, <coughs> we were, quote, too real. It's all about natural history when it's got nothing yep. to do with um, rescue mediums or um, alien abduction or things like that. And uh, at, at another time we were asked to pay for an expedition ourselves and the TV company would come with us and film it and get a documentary out of it and give us absolutely nothing. Now, in it... it over the last couple of years, we have had a production company come on a couple of our expeditions with us, and they've chipped in for expenses, and they've made a documentary. Uh, the working title of it is uh, Of Monsters and Men, and it's due to air in the spring on BBC Three, and it's a feature-length documentary. It's about an hour and a half. And that's um, I mean, I don't know. I'm hoping the guy, the guy seemed nice, but... You, you, you probably know from your experience you can edit anything together to make very you know, true mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're coming up on another break here Richard so we'll have to uh, wait until after the break to continue our conversation but you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio NewSkyRadio.com stick with us
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And we are on with our wonderful, wonderful guest, Doc, uh, Richard Freeman, almost a doctor, but <laughs> so used to having doctors on the show. And we were talking about the different parallels between the Amer- the American sh- the American idiots on TV and well, so, let's try not be too yeah, the, 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 the idiots on both sides. Of the <laughs> yes, yes. Well, but what we get... with with this big documentary we've got coming out, it also like, go two ways. Like if the guy could make us look like buffoons, or he could do a really good, good, tight, well balanced show that introduces cryptozoologists seriously. I think he's going to do the latter because he did seem genuinely interested. That would be wonderful. Interviewing the, the, the but Richard, before we run out of time, because uh, you know we'll, we'll get we'll get talking here, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, your books. Uh, you mentioned the possibility of the television's uh, uh, experience coming up and also your websites and anything, anything else uh, people can, can use to find out more about you or to read what you've written. Yeah, well, my latest book is called Orang Pendek. Sumatra's Forgotten Ape, and it's available on Amazon, and you can also get it from our website, which is www.cfz.org.uk. That's just one of my books. Uh, I've also written a book called Dragons More Than a Myth, which is available on Amazon, and The Great Yokai Encyclopedia, which is a book about the weird and wonderful Monsters from Japanese folklore, which include giant grave-robbing rabbits, uh, giant carnivorous sea cucumbers that grow out of girls' knickers, and um, a flaming pig that steals human genitals. Japanese uh, mythology is the weirdest and most bizarre in the world, and that's why I wrote the book in the first place, because Japanese mythology is just crap. <laughs> sure sounds like that, it. That is probably the weirdest thing I've ever heard, man. Yeah, and we hear a lot of weird things yes. on the show. I did want to ask you uh, in our last few moments here about the Ninki Nanka. What, what on earth is that? The Ninki Nanka is an alleged dragon-like creature from the swamps of West Africa. I thought it was uh, connected with the Michaelian Bembe of the Congo forests, which sure. may, be, may be a giant semi-aquatic monitor lizard. Uh, I went to investigate the Ninki Nanka in... Um, 2006 and from what I could ascertain it's more or less uh, a bogeyman used to scare people away from the swamps Ah. it's blamed for for anything that goes wrong if someone disappears in the swamps or if there's a a car crash it's all to do with the Ninki Nanka Um, I think it's uh, a demonisation of a pre-Islamic python cult I think that's where it has its genesis rather than a, a flesh and blood animal but there are, are plenty of reports of, of dragon-like creatures from around the world that seem to be based on something real. But the Minky Nanka, as far as I could ascertain, was this demonization of, uh, of a python cult. Well, so probably sort of like Cthulhu. <laughs> right, well... Yeah, from Rhode Island, uh, uh, from Rhode Island, you should know all about the, the deep ones and the night gaunts and the uh, great Cthulhu who likes sleeping. Oh, yes, uh, actually, Lovecraft was a cousin of ours. So. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. How brilliant is that? He's one of my heroes. <laughs> yeah, well, not not close, but he, 
Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I have evidence that, according to my mother, who's now passed away, that, that my father and he corresponded. And if I could ever yeah. find, and if I could have found those letters, oh my goodness, they could have been perhaps included in the in the series of letters, or off. Oh, but of course, my mother had no sense of what was going on and threw them all away in the 1950s. Yeah. But anyway, and that's as was. But we, yes, we do live near all the uh, famous Lovecraftian sites on uh, College Hill in Providence, and I was present at the uh, unveiling of the 100th anniversary memorial at the John Hay Library, and it's a it's a wonderful. It's a, it's a good place to be from that point of view. I very love Crafty, and certainly the politics in Rhode Island would, would qualify as well. The, the, the film by the HP Lovecraft Historic Society, the, the film of um, Call of Cthulhu, where it's done like a, a silent 1920s film with a stop-motion Cthulhu. Oh, it's yeah, we have, that. we have that. It's very yeah, good. Oh, good. They've done um, The Whisper in Darkness now, but I haven't seen that yet, but it looks great. They've done it in the style of an early talkie. I've seen but, clips. It looks fantastic. One of my favorite stories, and certainly... Good. Lovecraft stories deserve decent treatment in film after what has been done to them in the past. Mm-hmm. They don't get it. They're, 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 they're always just screwed over by Hollywood. <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes amateurs to do it so much better on a fraction of the budget. So true. Well, it, it's very much like what, what they do to the fields we study. Uh, Hollywood is inter- interested in entertainment, not science, and as a result, this is this is what happened. So well, I can't um, say too much more. I can't say too much more because it's a bit hush hush. But um, it looks like I'm being taken on by a studio as an advisor on a new film about a certain cryptid. But um, I can't say any more than that. That would be excellent. But please keep us posted on that. And uh, you're a wonderful guest. We'd love to have you back. And maybe we'll see you. Uh, when we're in your area in September, we're, uh, we have a family yeah, well, reunion in Devon. And, uh, well, in, in August, we have the Centre for 14 Zoology has its, its big um, annual annual convention, the Weird Weekend. So if you wanted to come over a bit earlier and, and speak at it, you'd be more than welcome. Oh, that would be wonderful. We, we, uh, in fact, there, there is, uh, we have, uh, the show has quite a few uh, listeners in, in the UK, and there's, there's a movement to get us to come over and do a speaking tour. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that, but we'll be in touch off the air. It's, it's been marvelous. And again, uh, okay. And again, would you give us your website again? Again, we're speaking with Richard Freeman, a well-known cryptozoologist and adventurer. And uh, what is your website again? Yeah. Um, it's the Center for Fortean Zoology, and the website is www.cfz.org.uk. Excellent. And thank you so much. We'll be in touch, and we feel we have a new friend here. So, very good. Okay, so anyway, let's uh, move on to one or two announcements that we have here at the end of the show. Um, If you live in southeastern New England, Ben and I are teaching a course again at the Learning Connection in Providence, Rhode Island, Exploring the Paranormal. Uh, The next session begins on Saturday, February 11th from 1 to 3 p.m. It goes on for five weeks, and we will include two field trips to sites of interesting cases. And you can check it out at www.southcoastlearning.org. And we also point out that you can certainly get copies of my books. We always talk about our guest books, but on Barnes & Noble Nook, and the e-reader and Kindle device as well. And that includes Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, and one that is probably no relation to those other subjects, Rhode Island, A Genial History, in which we talk about our dear old... Friend and cousin HP Lovecraft is a whole chapter. And uh, many thanks to our producer. And uh... All right, many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you next Sunday, January 29th, when my dad and I will welcome back uh, parapsychologist Dr. Andrew Nichols for a discussion, maybe a debate, on how to investigate ghosts. 
And in the meantime, tune into our New England Drive Time Show on WOON. 1240 a.m. and onworldwide.com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. You can always get free podcasts of all our shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you with a thought from the great American author and scientist, Dr. Carl Sagan. Quote, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Unquote. Thanks for joining us on our cosmic journey, and we will see you next time. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com powered by CBS Radio. AOL and Yahoo is unlike any talk radio station with a mission to improve the world one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons, No Boundaries. New Age Views, Life Coaching, Psychic Analysis, Alternative Medicine, and Cutting Edge Mind, Body, and Spirit shows can all be found on the Sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family, an open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at NewSkyRadio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show.